0: The Sunday Baroque podcast is made possible by WSHU and the Friends of Sunday Baroque. You can find out more about the Friends of Sunday Baroque and find out how to become one yourself by visiting our website, SundayBaroque.org, under the Contact tab. Dr. Joyce Chen is a harpsichordist who performs actively in the greater Philadelphia and New York areas as a soloist and in various ensembles. The award-winning musician is currently pursuing a PhD in historical musicology at Princeton University. She also earned her Bachelor of Science degree in mechanical engineering from UC Berkeley and her Doctor of Musical Arts in harpsichord performance from Stony Brook University. Dr. Joyce Chen is speaking with me on Zoom about her life in music. Welcome.
1: Thank you, thank you for the invite, and I'm so happy to be here.
0: So, this past year plus has been super challenging for everyone, obviously, <laughs> but there have been particular challenges for musicians. And could you just talk about how you're doing? Um, today I'm doing
1: okay, um, but I must um, I'm sure, uh, just like other musicians, it being a it's been pretty difficult, uh, challenge. I'm not going to hide it, um, and. It's been a roller coaster for me personally, because I would say, and please, hopefully hopefully no one hates me for saying that. But in the beginning, I was I was actually a little bit relieved um, because I was actually preparing for my doctoral general's exam, which is like a very big the biggest cornerstone you have right before you start writing your dissertation and um i was um obviously i live in philadelphia and i was commuting to princeton on a you know several times a week and in addition to that i had some performance projects so i in the beginning i was like oh my god so i have a two month not staycation and just study so everyone else is baking bread and i was bread and i was spending 12 hours a day studying so at that point it was actually really nice um just the the way it was set up and i i passed my exam i did really well but i i think that was actually a a godsend for me i needed that break a little bit and just really focus on my work um but then after that i i started questioning oh wow i guess i don't see performances coming back this next year uh what am i doing so i i i did um spent a lot of time soul-searching almost, you know, mm-hmm. just like, what do I want as a musician? What do I want as an academic? You know, I have kind of a dual career. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a side note, it was just uh, <laughs> to distract myself almost. I, I started painting a lot. So I every single room in this house, um, so my partner and I um, bought a house and moved in right before a pandemic. Every single house and wall and surface you can see <laughs> painted. <laughs> so wow that was that's a silver lining I was like wow like just kind of went on with this whole whole improvement project and that was a very good distraction for me um and you know it was very hard um i, I don't know I, i'm sure it's the same for many musicians just like do you want to keep practicing when you know nothing's lining up or do you you now want to practice but then we also were afraid oh if we don't do this then people forget about us so it's like kind of a two-way you know kind of expectation um online presence like people want to see you are still actively engaging with your art and craft so Mm -hmm. people will you know call you when when the whole thing is over or when things are loosened up a little bit so that's kind of like kind of my journey and and i'm in just a much better place now like i'm done with my coursework and i'm done with the exam so all i have to focus on is really doing the research and um and and playing when i when i can so Mm. if if that answers your question so i'm kind of like it was difficult it was good and difficult and now i'm kind of finding a balance um in both and kind of easing back to like the new normal that's Mm. what everyone's saying it right Um, right
0: well, that's great. I mean, and, and it's it's actually really impressive because what you've just described is sort of this, um, uh, a, a pause, you know, you sort of did this self-reflection and really thought about, you know, what are my priorities? And I think it's something that all of us in, in the world, you know, we don't necessarily have the luxury of doing that all the time. And this was enforced, right. you know. <laughs>
1: right and then you know prioritizing you know after the pandemic when we're coming back what is the most important thing for me what are the Mm -hmm. projects i really want to spend you know do 120 percent. what are some things i may have to cut back you know so Mm -hmm. these are that was you know that's kind of the silver lining of the pandemic i don't know if that's a good way of putting it but i'm trying to look at it in a more positive way just like how can i restructure my life how what do I want as a you know myself as a musician like how can I keep you know inspiring myself and others I think that's the hardest thing to do is like how do you inspire other people as a musician when you're kind of struggling yourself Yeah,
0: yeah 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 well said well said so how did you get started in music what what instrument did you start on how old were you how'd that happen
1: yeah, um, so I, um, I was born and grew up in Taiwan and um, I would say a lot of kids in Asia, that's a stereotypical thing was like, these kids get started at one of the musical instruments or, uh, or being active in musical activity as, you know, that is good for your developing your brain and everything. So I actually started on the piano, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, when I was two. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow. right. so, so that didn't quite work out because i was just to- too small to even touch the keys. so <laughs> i i i went to a few group class as a two-year-old uh with my mom wow. and then that kind of i was like i i couldn't really express myself but they knew it was a mistake so i actually started my formal training at four with that make sense and so i started piano lesson at four and then violin at 10 um age 10 and at the time i was really more into uh violin um but i never got as good as as i wanted to be um because i started later than uh you know piano for instance so i was still using a lot of uh keyboard instinct on the Mm -hmm. violin which doesn't quite work Mm -hmm. and um when I first um, when I came to the States um, to go to um, college, I was actually an a, a engineering student. I, I believe you we might touch on, on that in a, in, in a little bit. I was doing a music minor in college at Berkeley. And um, for one of the requirements is you have to perform in an ensemble like whatever you want there. I also did Japanese gamelan. <laughs> that was wow. quite a venture. Yeah, I know. It was super fun, super fun. And um, I was playing Bach on the piano and I said, oh, I really want to be involved as a keyboard player um, because I, I was involved as a string player in orchestras and stuff. But then so that's when I said, oh, there's a Baroque ensemble. I, I got to check it out. Mm-hmm. And I went and it was at the time it was uh, directed by David Maroney, harpsichordist, um, musicologist wow. and Carla Moore. She's still in the Bay Area. She's a violinist. And that's how I got started on the, uh, the hard score. It, it was really just, uh, I, I say it, it's really cliche, but love at first sight, uh, first play, first sound. <laughs> I don't mm. know what, a good way of putting it. It was just really, I started playing it and I was like, oh, I found my life purpose here. Uh-huh. It was a very, very quick uh, kind of realization. I was like, oh, this feels really right. I, I feel at home
0: wow so can i ask you like what like where did that come from like you know you mentioned earlier that when you were really little like the piano was too big do you have smaller hands is that part yes. of it or okay is it the sound yes. of the well, instrument as well i mean what what are the aspects of of the harpsichord that made you fall like what 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 was tugging at you
1: yeah so uh yeah definitely you touch on that so i i'm pretty i'm petite i'm 5 4 and i'm not uh, although I do have pretty long fingers. I mean, I, on the piano, I can do a tenth, which mm. is pretty big for mm-hmm. a female. Mm-hmm. But I at piano, I was I was actually pretty serious with the piano, and I was competing some uh, mm-hmm. regionally and then also nationally. And then at, at the point, I mean, I was not going to a conservatory, but then I just hit a plateau, really, in my um, technique. Like, I knew... There were a lot of technical challenges. It was just really difficult. But then I hear all these sound in my head. Um, like, I know I'm very musical. I, I know I have to demand, but it was just like, oh my god, I feel almost there's some kind of disability. And then on the harpsichord the first time, it was an Italian instrument built, uh, uh, Italian harpsichord built by John Phillips, still in Herzl in California, I remember. And it was just, you know, I actually played harpsichord for the first time at an audition like i was Whoa. I, like i was really you know came to the audition and said oh i'm a pianist i want to audition they said uh you know we play hard support here right for baroque on some i was like yeah can i audition on the piano no <laughs> you gotta try this and so i was like oh my god why are the keys so much smaller and there's only four octaves what am i gonna do and um you know and David Moroni was actually turning pages for me. I, this is still a great story. Like He was just next to me. I was like, I'm going to play Bach's, Primatic Fantasy, and Fuke. which I actually played pretty well on the piano, but then I always felt like there's certain color. I couldn't quite do, you just can't quite do the same way. And on the on the harpsichord, it was just like, it clicked really quickly. Like first, it was effortless for me. I just, my fingers just run. I was like, oh, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I couldn't do that so fast on the piano. Um, and wow, like all, all these like kind of pseudo harpsichord technique that my teacher actually taught me about like finger pedaling or how you're overholding. You're going, I try to imitate the harpsichord sound, but on the harpsichord, I don't have to imitate. I just do it. So it was about the touch and then just the whole timbre just fits so much easier. And technically it was, it was, effortless in terms of the runs. But then later on, when I actually studied harpsich, so I was like, wow, this is very different kinds of technique and really changed the way I even think about music from, from that point forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I do want to take a slight detour and and get right. back to the idea that you were a mechanical engineering major at first there, or you were a mechanical engineering major and got your degree in that because I, I, I am very fascinated by the um, what seems to me like a a number of people who are very successful in music who also were drawn to other fields and often not at all music fields, like in in your case, mechanical engineering. I know a number of physicians who, you know, are very, very talented musicians and kind of came to a crossroads in life. Um, Even actually, and this is really different, but um, the pianist Awadajan Pratt is it is a very, and was a very, very competitive tennis player and got to this point in his life as a, a teenager or, you know, when he was getting ready to choose his life's work and had to make a decision. So I'm really fascinated about that process. How did you, how did you navigate that time? How did you navigate making that decision?
1: Yes. Um, it, it is very, I would say it was very, very challenging and um actually just a few years ago uh, I believe like 2015 and 16 I was about to apply for a PhD program in physics and go back to the field I was like I'm not sure I have a viable career uh outlook here so I was actually chickening out and was like you know I can do really well I'm gonna go back but but that didn't happen um but I would say yes in, in college so as I mentioned, I was a major in engineering, but then minor in music. Great. But in reality, it was more like minor in engineering and majoring music, mm. like the amount of time I was spending in the two uh, two sides of the campus. Like people see me in music building and thought I was a music major. Oh, yeah. And it was just really interesting. Um, I was definitely very drawn to physics and math. Like mm. they're part of the brain with, the, I don't know, just math numbers and that kind of analytical approach um kind of just connect the dots with music I, I don't really i can't really just verbalize it um so i definitely i'm drawn to that intellectually um but um at berkeley it was very competitive as you can probably imagine it was very competitive it was very demanding and it was at the point it was really my senior year when i had to make a decision whether am i applying to a phd program in engineering or uh, physics or something, or am I doing something else? Mm. So at first, um, and this is why I said, so Berkeley turned me into a little hippie. <laughs> <laughs> it really did, and so I said, you know what? I have kind of, you know, do it by the book, like follow the guidelines. You know, be a good academic, like be a good student, be a be a good Asian daughter, like for so long. Mm-hmm. I want to do something different so i actually gave myself two years um mm-hmm. to pursue this so originally it was going to be a master's degree and i got like i can go crazy and do whatever i want and i said but then at the end of two years i'm coming back that was the original plan and unfortunately it lasted 10 years so where mm-hmm. here i am <laughs> oh, wow so that was that was the challenge was like i i knew music was going to be very difficult as a career choice and industry but then I when i made the switch which was actually quite sudden like i was literally putting together my phd application for engineering 10 days before december 1st i believe that was the uh uh deadline and i had an epiphany one day and just said screw that i'm going to put an application for music instead so that that is literally what happened i just went with it without thinking very much <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I, I deal with the consequence for the following two years and now 10 years. Wow. And I said, you know, I, I just I'm, I'm still happy in the field. There are ups and downs there are challenges. But like, I, I really do feel like this is the right choice for me because I'm, I'm much happier. And I would mm-hmm. say I will live without regret. You know, just this is what I really wanted to do. And um, I am actually able to do, incorporate some of my engineering background to my current research. Oh. So I'm happy, like, where this is a good balance point right now.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about then that then, because since 2018, you've been working on a Ph.D. in historical musicology at Princeton. Would you explain what historical musicology is and and what your research entails and, and how you're using your science passion and aptitude for that?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I would just focus more, um, you know, a, a broader sense. So musicology is really the study... Um, about music in, in so many different ways and i would say our program it's it's gotten a lot more um, diverse so you can do music cognition you can do medieval music you can do 17th century music um, but then when we go into the program we take two years of coursework with these different professors and you learn from their specialty so you have a very well-rounded um, glance into musicology because they're just we only have 24 hours a day and your brain capacity is this much uh there's impossible for someone to specialize in every field so you you take these very uh you know very contrasting topics and then you you finalize what you want to do but when i come in i already know i want to do 17th century music that has an acoustics aspect in this Mm -hmm. so after i finished my coursework and this past year I've been drafting my dissertation proposal and now I've been writing it, is essentially I'm, I'm dealing with this idea. It's called experimentia and experimentum in Latin, but in, in English that means experience and, and experiments, and which is uh, essentially how our listening may um, agree or not agree with uh, the production of scientific knowledge. So what we, I learn in you know, engineering, which is we learn all these um, Newtonian laws about how to describe natural phenomena. But then when you actually put that aside and then experience sound, which is maybe a very different kind of experience. Mm -hmm. There's no other way of putting it. A very different kind of account, but then how much of the scientific knowledge is dictating how we're experiencing something. Mm -hmm. And I believe if you you point that forward, a lot of kind of aesthetic um, prejudice can actually trace back to who is writing the narrative, who is authorizing, who gets to say what is scientific knowledge say about an acoustical wave mm-hmm. or something like that and mm-hmm. then i'm coming into uh from a 17th century point of view because that is where experimental philosophy really de- developed and then that was when um uh scientists um really had a, a awareness of how their experience is, is influencing what they think about nature really so they are like okay we're going to stick with numbers we're going to stick with these formulas but how we're hearing we're seeing might be different Mm -hmm. and so i'm kind of using that and looking at um our 1950s and 60s hip kind of movement it's very similar there's kind of an antiquarian backward looking move but but then recreating new ideas and interpretation. Mm. Uh, this is like a lot, I know, in a few sentences, but yeah. that is kind of what my research is about at this point.
0: Wow. So so is can you come up with a sort of simple, uh, oh, layman-friendly example of oh, what, even sorry. if it's just a hypothetical example?
1: Um, yeah, so for one, okay. So if you're thinking about, if we're thinking about... Um, Uh, a sound so we're thinking about amplitude a sound wave how loud something is so here's a very interesting uh that's a trivia so even though something is played at the same amplitude the same energy level but for different pitches your perception is different so Mm -hmm. what is actually in that so if you're saying you're playing this at 10 amplitude 10 which is by physics term it will be the same thing but then because your 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 pitch is different. So a higher a higher pitch, even though you're playing at a softer sound, when we're perceiving that sound, that might sound louder than what it actually is compared to a different pitch. If that that makes sense to you a little bit. So mm-hmm. my dissertation kind of like evolves around these kind of um uh disagreement between how we're how we experience and what the science is telling us. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's the most simple term I can put it right now.
0: <laughs> oh, no, that's good. That's good. So of course, you know, this is the academic side of it. But but we are talking about music. So I would love for you to talk about you know, who are your favorite composers? And, and what's your favorite music either to play or to listen to or both?
1: Oh, yeah. So um a lot. I mean, a lot of it is, of course, Baroque um, composers, and right. Bach was kind of the person. Well, I know he's he's been dead, but I, I see him as responsible for m- pulling me into a different you know career field. It was really mm. Bach that you know I was playing so much of Bach on the piano, and then mm. got interested on in the support. and then for the past few years, I think I'm finding my voice as an early keyboard uh, player. So I I play a lot of Friscobaldi. William Byrd, and Storaccia, especially on the variation sets. So that's something I really like doing. And then I also work on some partimental. So how can I make variation sets and compose um, in that style? So that's something I really Mm -hmm. like doing is, Mm -hmm. you know, how how can I learn, you know, kind of compose in that style? And then also not only for myself, but also to teach. Uh, Mm -hmm. If someone wants to improvise in the style of 17th century Italian idiom, I can say, well, these are the somehow patterns where you can look at this composer and learn how to do it. Um, on a, a side note, though, like outside of early music, I really, I really like jazz. I don't really know very much about jazz yet, but um, that's something that's my new adventure. Oh. Um, I don't have the jazz theory or jazz um, history there yet, but I've been playing some jazz with um some students um but a few few weeks ago i played one of the in-person recital which is a uh, claude boland's um jazz suite for a uh, trip piano trio and flute yeah and i know it, it well <laughs> yeah it's really interesting because they he actually kind of juxtaposed baroque and blue together mm-hmm. so i thought that was like very interesting comp- it was like th- both, I love both. And then wow. how is he doing, how is arranging this differently?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. Joyce, we're going to have to jam sometime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. And, you know, it's interesting because often early music, because there's so much of an improvisatory component, is yes. often compared to jazz for that reason. You know, yeah. like you have a structural harmonic framework, and then within that, you have the freedom to do some improvisation.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, like, what are you passionate about right now? What What are some of the things that are, you know, really important to you right now? S- top of mind? What's exciting? What's urgent? What's, what's the thing that's really got you excited these days?
1: You mean within music, or...? anything anything oh so um one thing i didn't get to say very much i I promise i will steer away from my dissertation that's something i get to talk a lot about but (laughs) because of the pandemic and this is one of the silver lining is that i i didn't have to be in person when i was teaching or during research so i thought um and also but here's the thing i also couldn't travel to europe and do any archive archival research so I said I have to change my uh, direction and so I found Connecticut so I was actually uh, made I I actually made the arrangement of being an intern at Zuckerman harpsichord um, in Stonington Connecticut for two months and right now I'm pretty close to a finish line of making my first harpsichord
0: Wow.
1: So that is something I'm very excited about. And and basically, I've been that stage for a couple of months now. I mean, I was doing some more, you know, sanding and putting molding on. But, like, the case has been assembled a while ago. Wow. But the next stage, and this is what freaks me out the most, is painting. So I, I, yeah. I, I promise I was like, I'm going to do this as much as I can on my own. And I, I'm an amateur pain, painter, so you might be able to see some I my do. painting right there. Yeah. So I've been practicing painting in 17th century Flemish style. So once I put it on the soundboard, then I can put the rest of the harpsichord together. So that makes me tick at the, you know, these couple months and that that is my deadline. This summer I'm going to finish the harpsichord. Wow. So, okay.
0: Wow. Yeah. And is this going to be an instrument that you will play or are you going to sell yes. it or what? Okay. <laughs>
1: I, I wouldn't sell it yet, but well, I maybe if someone wants to, <laughs> but I'm going to paint the instrument pink. So I, I don't think that'll be very good for Mark marketing, um, <laughs> Who knows? You, don't, you don't see a pink harpsichord anymore. So I said, why not? You know, it's my favorite color. Oh, wow. Oh okay. so yeah. That, that hopefully, you know, I, I'll put it on social media and let people know, but yeah, that would be an instrument I'll be able to keep and, you know, for gigging very good. Um, It's really small. It's one of those virginal, but then it's a very versatile instrument because it has like five octaves. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like this is one of those very popular kits that Zuckerman has, you know, sold in the last decade.
0: Wow. Well, that's very impressive. And that really is a marriage of your scientific background and research orientation as well as your musical orientation. Yes, for sure fabulous that's fabulous um i have been speaking with dr joyce chan an award-winning harpsichordist who performs frequently as a soloist and in various ensembles in the u.s across the country and internationally thank you very much
1: thank you so much